Good morning, church. Let me tell you a story. The people of Israel had groaned and mourned under the weight of their slavery in Egypt. The pharaohs had driven them hard and punished them harshly and, and even killed their baby boys on the day that they were born. Slavery in Egypt was a nightmare. But God had a plan to set them free. He had a plan to bring them to a prosperous and beautiful land that they could call their own. And in that plan, he would walk with them every step of the way, fighting their fights for them, meeting their needs, and leading the way. So after after breaking the will of Egypt with a, a series of horrific plagues, culminating in the angel of death going door to door throughout Egypt. Finally, the Pharaoh relented and let the people go. God parted the sea for them. They walked across on dry land and into the wilderness where God brought forth water for them to drink out of a dry rock and, and, and manna every morning so that they could eat and be nourished. Leading the way (laughs) each and every day. And after all that, the people had the nerve to complain. Manna wasn't good enough. The journey was too long. Maybe life was better as a slave in Egypt. Can you imagine what it must have been like for God to hear them say that sort of nonsense. Life was better as a slave in Egypt. Can you imagine his frustration? Had they forgotten how they cried out to him for deliverance? Had they forgotten so quickly just how much mercy he had shown them? No wonder he sent them a plague of their own deadly serpents. Fiery is the word it uses in Scripture. Fiery serpents. Now, when I say serpent, and we're thinking about the Bible, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Garden of Eden, right? The serpent was the the first of all creation that led mankind to question God's goodness. He tempted Eve to second-guess God to opt for the way that seemed pleasing, but ended in death. Perhaps through this plague, people would remember who the real enemy was. Maybe they'd recognize and appreciate the goodness they were so quick to abandon. Maybe they'd repent. And they did. They repented, and they begged Moses to ask God to relent, to, to, to drive away the snakes. But God did something different than that, something strange and, and ultimately much better than driving the snakes away. So he told Moses, 
to make a bronze snake and to put it on a pole and to lift it up nice and high so everybody could see it. And everybody who looked at it was saved. Better than driving away the snakes, God gave life to the people who were dying in the moment. Now, Nicodemus um, is an interesting character. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and he had taken an interest in Jesus. Most of the Pharisees are really antagonistic to Jesus. They try to trap him. They try to fight him. They Whatever, right? Nicodemus is a little different. He, he wants to know what Jesus' deal is. Genuinely. Now, he would have known this story that I just told you. He would have known it well. Because being a Pharisee meant he was an expert in the Scriptures. He, he would have undoubtedly taught that story that I told you. He would have taught that many times and explained its significance many times over the course of his career. But Jesus took that familiar story and turned it on its head. Because when Jesus talks about the story, it's not just a historical event anymore. It is that, but it has bigger significance. Nicodemus is being told by Jesus that the purpose of that moment in history was to reveal what was about to happen to him. Jesus says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now, lifting up. When we say lifting up, we usually are talking about exalting, right? Like, like when you lift something up, you're putting it in a place of honor. But when Jesus speaks of being lifted up, he's talking about something very different than what we might picture. When Jesus was lifted up on Calvary, nobody who looked at him envied his position. He wasn't lifted up in honor. He was lifted up by murderous intent and cruel mockery. It was a grim and gruesome sight. And like, who, who would ever want to look at that? But you know, holding the crucifixion of Christ up against the story of the bronze snake, it gives us a deeper understanding of both. See, one of the things that I have had a hard time understanding in the past is why a bronze snake? I mean, if you've read the story before, you've probably asked that question too. Why a, why a snake? You think about this. Like, the problem is that there's too many snakes. I will spare you my Samuel L. Jackson impression, but like, there are snakes everywhere. The last thing you want to see is another snake. Can you imagine a more hated 
image in that moment than a snake? Uplifted for all to see was the very image of the punishment for their sins. And what do you suppose we see when we look at that Christ's suffering on the cross? Nothing other than the punishment for our sins. Terrible as it is to behold, what we see on the cross, that is what the poison of sin looks like. And it's on display, lifted up on a hill for all the world to see. I think that's one of the really incredible things about God's plan for salvation. It was incredibly public, you know? There's no room for fiction. There's no chance for conspiracy. Jesus' death, and as we'll talk about in a few weeks probably, his resurrection, they were out in the open, surrounded by a few believers, but mostly skeptics. Now, of course, Nicodemus probably couldn't have understood all of that. You know, he 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 didn't he because like he didn't probably know that Jesus was talking about the crucifixion. To say that the Son of Man must be lifted up could be understood in you know maybe a few different ways, but here's a truth that Nicodemus would have absolutely understood. It would be crystal clear to him. The healing and life that God delivered to his people was nothing but grace. The image of the Israelites suffering and, and dying from snake bites is pitiful, right? It's everywhere you look, men and women are unable to stand, nearly paralyzed in pain. And, you know, what hope do they have? All they can reasonably look forward to is death. But then there is this figure lifted up on a pole. And the sight of it, just the sight of it, is enough to bring the nearly dead back to fully alive. And the prophet, Moses, his call to them is just to trust. Just believe. Just, just look. Moses didn't raise the snake up in condemnation. People were already dying. The snake was lifted up so that people might believe and live. And so Jesus looks at Nicodemus, and it's as though he says to Nicodemus, God didn't send me to condemn anyone. God sent me because the world is already dying. And there's nothing they can do to stop it. And I've watched every son and daughter of Adam and Eve suffer from the same fate, from the same mortal snake bite. You've had enough. God sent me to do something about it. Just like Moses lifted up a bronze serpent, I will be lifted up. And only, only the, the, the venom that I cure will be the source of all death. The venom I cure will be sin itself. You know, there's, there's folks who object to this kind of grace because it doesn't make sense. 
You know, like some, some don't see how believing in Jesus or believing in anything, for that matter, fixes anything. And there's other folks who, who, who think it's wrong that Christians would claim that Jesus is the only answer to mankind's problems. Here's the thing. If you're dying and looking at a bronze snake on a pole will heal you, does it matter if that makes sense? Or would you just look and live? Would you argue that you should be able to look in any direction and be saved? Or would you look where you know life can be found? I don't, I, I don't understand everything about God. And I may not always understand why he does the things that he does. But here's what I do know. God is true to his promises. God keeps his word. And if he promises forgiveness, life, and salvation to a sinner like me, through Jesus Christ alone, I mean, what, what more can I say than thank you? What else can I do other than lift my eyes to Christ uplifted on Calvary's hill? Well, there's one more thing I suppose I could do. I could point other people who are dying to the place where I was healed so they too can live. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much that just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so you have lifted up your son, Jesus Christ. Seeing him on the cross is not always an easy thing to look at, Lord, but the grace and life that you deliver it through that is, is amazing. We pray, Heavenly Father, that we wouldn't look anywhere else for salvation, but that we would look only where life can be found. And more than that, God, we pray that, that as we look around at the, the people in our lives who are suffering the effects of sin in their life, that we would have the courage and the love for our neighbor to point them where we found life too, to show them that Christ is uplifted for them too. There's no way we could afford such a precious gift, but you give it away freely. Thank you so much for that kind of love, for that kind of grace, for that, that kind of generosity that you've shown toward us. And as we approach Good Friday and Easter this year, we pray that you'll fill us with that joy and that excitement and gratitude for all that you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.